by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Welcome to the Passion Church, everybody. Thank you for worshiping with us. You're in the right place today. God has a word for you. God's going to touch some lives here today, if we're willing If we're willing and then be obedient, we will eat the good of the land. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, I thank you that your word has power, that you sent it to accomplish things, and it will accomplish what you sent it to do in the hearts of those who will receive it and let it have its way. So we open up our ears today that we may hear what your spirit would say on top of the words that it would not just be logos, but it would be rhema, revelation in our understanding. It would help us to, to see how it applies to our life. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, we just, that was the, the Phyllis, uh, what was it? The Philippines is where he was talking about that those schools are being opened, and they have an orphanage there, and they do such great work. And, and you can look at our list of uh, missionaries in the hallway back there, and if you want to find out where we're helping all around the world, it's really wonderful work. One of the places we're helping here in our own uh, backyard is at the Soto County Jail. And uh, the last three weeks, I think they had like 18 saved one Sunday night. And then the next Sunday was eight, and I think this last Sunday was 15 salvations in the Soto County Jail. So keep it up, guys. You're doing good work. Um, You know, if I was a fisherman and I was catching that many fish, I'd want to keep it quiet. I wouldn't want everybody to know where to go catch all all my fish. But it's not that way in the kingdom of God, is it? If you're a fisherman in the kingdom of God, you want to tell everybody where the picking's good, you know. You want to let everybody know, hey, you want to be a part of winning souls? Somebody might think about uh, being part of the jail ministry. Because that is, man, that is a ripe, fertile soul. What else did I want to, oh, oh yeah. Our uh, life groups have been going great. I want us to give a round of applause to all the life group leaders who, who stood up. When I challenged people, they, they came forward and says, I will take a life group. And, you know, the summertime is difficult. A lot of people on vacations, attendance is low, it's hot, and, and so forth. But they have done a magnificent job, all our life group leaders. And I, w- I want to thank you for stepping up. Um, we'll have a our between semesters break here coming up soon and uh, maybe some some of you will be think about taking a life group next semester taking a time at the at the wheel so to speak so good things going on here good things going on with our missionaries good to see some old faces in the house today I didn't recognize Colin I'm telling you last time I saw him he was a little boy now he's a, a grown man I said, who are you? He thought I was just kidding. 
because I look the same, but you don't look the same. I really didn't know who you were, Colin, when you came in the door, but I'm glad you came back. We missed your smile. It looks the same. Well, when I was, uh, I guess, maybe 14 years old, I was walking through the house one day, and Mama had left her keys on the counter, her car keys. And she were, I don't know where she was going. She was going with a friend or something. I knew she wouldn't be back for a couple hours. Now, I didn't have a driver's license or anything like that at 14. But, I mean, I, I knew enough, I figured, to take Mama's yellow Buick Century for a ride. And I knew she wasn't going to be back for a couple hours because she wouldn't normally let me ride it, you know. So I took those keys, and I cranked that car, and I was, I, I was practicing everything I'd seen other people do, you know, and, and I started driving around the neighborhood. And uh, hold on, let me, I just, I, let me break this story in half. Let me go back to the Lord in prayer. I just feel like I'm, I'm plowing really hard right now. You, you ever felt that way? Maybe it ain't just me. Maybe, maybe we all need to relax a bit. Let's pray. Father, your spirit is here. Help us to, to rest in you. As we sang that song, I guess, rest on us. Rest on us, Lord. Help us to relax. Help, us, help me not speak a word that's not from you, Lord. Help me to be moved by you and you alone. Help us to recognize what you want to do. If there's something we're not doing, show us. Okay. So where was I? I was driving that car I shouldn't have been driving. And you know, back in those days... Uh, Hot rods was a big thing. You know, all, everybody had muscle cars, and they was riding up and down the road, and everybody wanted to squall tires and all that. And I thought to myself, I want to do that. And I'd seen my friend, he would, he, he would take an automatic, and, and all the cars had the, the shifters on the, the column, you know, and wasn't, didn't have that deal, especially on automatics. And my mama's Buick Century, the old Kojak car, it was yellow and everything, just like the old Kojak car. I'd seen my friend do this, and he would put it down and drive, too. You know, all the way down in the lowest gear, and then he would shift gears himself. It wasn't an automatic, but you could almost pretend like you was doing the shifting. So I said, I'm going to do that. And so I put it down and drive, too, and I had me a little straightaway, you know, through the neighborhood. I didn't, you know, I was too young to care if any kids walked out in the road or whatever. <laughs> so I stomped it. Whoa, that eight cylinders took off, and then I said, going to drive one. Whoa! And just when I was fixing to put it in drive, it went right past drive. And, you know, today's cars will stop in neutral, but I don't know if something's wrong with that Kojak car or what, but by about, I was doing about 60 miles an hour when it went in reverse. And that thing, this is the sound that I heard. And I came to a stop finally, and the car went uh, and went dead. Now I'm telling you, the situation had changed. I didn't want to drive Mama's car anymore. 
I didn't want to be mischievous. I just wanted to get home and get that car back in the driveway and put them keys where, back where they belong and give no indication that anything had ever happened. Now, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a Christian at the time, but you know when things get that bad, you, everybody tends to start crying for mercy. I didn't know what mercy was, but I started, Lord, help me, please. Because I was crying to crank it back, and it wouldn't crank, and I'm sitting there in the middle of the road. People driving by, you need some help? No, I'm good. They didn't know how bad I needed help. And I was, crank, I was trying to crank it. It wouldn't crank. I'm thinking, I'm going to be grounded for the rest of my natural-born life. I will never be ungrounded. This was a major issue. And I prayed and I prayed and it finally cranked and I took it home. And I'm just going to tell you, God had mercy on me that day because my mother never found out. You didn't hear, you didn't hear about that story, did you? And I tell you, God had mercy on me because it was months after that before the transmission finally fell out of it. And she had no clue that it was me. And I'm telling you, he's still having mercy on me today. You know why? Because I just confessed to mama, but the way her memory is going, by the time this service is over, she will have completely forgot about it. And she can't do anything in front of all y'all. So, thank you, Jesus, for his mercy. How many is thankful for God's mercy? That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, Moses was up on the mountain with God, and he got so close to God, he said, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, he knew if, if you were to look at the face of God, you would be, be zapped like a bug in a bug zapper. The holiness would fry you. No man has seen God in his essence and lived. But he had gotten so familiar with God, so close to God. And, and Moses was the one that said, God, if you don't go with me, I don't even want to go. Don't even send me if you ain't going with me. I want to be with you. And now he's saying, show me your glory. And as I get older, I just want to see more of him. I, just, I don't want to go where he's not. I want to be where he is. And I want to see more of him in my life. And he said, show me your glory. And I, he was probably thinking, God ain't going to do that. But God said, I tell you what, you can't handle my glory. I'm paraphrasing. He said, but I'm going to hide you in a cleft of rock. And I'm going to go by, and, and I'll let you come out when my vapor trail is going by. When my, the, the back hinder parts of my glory, you might can stand that much. You know he came down the mountain. His face was all glowing from that. But he said, show me your glory. And God just showed him a little bit. And God revealed to him not only visually who he is, he said something as he went by, revealing his nature and his character. And in Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, some translations say Yahweh, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Now, you know God could have revealed anything about his character. He could have said, I'm awesome. I'm all-powerful. Ain't nobody like me. But what is the first adjective he uses there? 
merciful. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that because I know I couldn't handle the rest of the adjectives if he wasn't merciful. I wouldn't be around to see the rest of the adjectives. He wanted you to know. The first thing he reveals about his character is that he is merciful. And I think that's important. What is mercy? Webster defines it as compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to someone or to, to one subject to one's power. In other words, I have, a, I have power over you to punish you, but I don't. I have authority over you to make your life miserable, but I don't. Last week, I think, or week before, we were talking about grace, and we said grace is getting what you don't deserve. God gives you nice things that you don't deserve, blessing in your life. But mercy is the opposite. Mercy is you not getting what you do deserve. And if you've lived in my shoes, which you hadn't, but I think your shoes smell just as bad as mine. If you lived in any shoes here on the earth, you know what you deserve. Your shoes know where you've been walking and how you've been talking and the things you've been doing and the things you thought and the places you've been and the people you've hurt. But yet, God has mercy. Thank you, Jesus. And then Jesus turns around in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, and he says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I always think about that. I always think about that. I need to be shown mercy. And so, I, you know what I try to do? I try to err on the side of mercy. Sometimes I know you say, Pastor, you're pretty tough on us from the pulpit. You know, you make us feel guilty sometimes. And I know that's the old me in me, and I apologize when I do. But if you've talked to me privately, I bet everybody in here would say, he ain't, he ain't bad. It's, he don't get on me. He's not picking out my faults and, and showing me how terrible I am. He's encouraging me. He's being merciful when I, when I need it. You know why I do that? Because I'm worried about me getting mercy. I know my stuff. And we, you know what I try to do? I try to put myself in somebody else's shoes. And I try to look at it from their point of view. And I see, see where they're coming from and why they did what they did. And then I can have a little compassion. And then mercy will start to flow naturally. In the Amplified Classic Version, which we don't have on the, on the overhead, so don't worry about it, Angie. But in Matthew 5, 7, it says, Blessed, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous, with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Man, there, there's just so many benefits that come along with being a merciful person. God wants to bless you if you will, have, if you will bless somebody else with it. And we look at Jesus' life. 
He was merciful to everyone except those Pharisees and teachers of religious law that wouldn't have mercy on others. He said, you hold people to these high standards. You expect them to walk 100 miles, you won't walk a, a step yourself. You don't show anybody mercy. He, he had his strongest comments were for the ones who would not show other people mercy. And in James 2.13, it says, there will be no mercy. <laughs> That'll punch you right in the gut. How would your life be with no mercy? There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And we are all got a, a judgment day coming, right? We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ for the works that we did in the flesh. I want mercy on my side. I want mercy in my corner on that day. What about you? Absolutely, I know you do. But we look around and the world shows very little mercy. They want to punish. They want to judge. Man, they're into council culture. They want to dig up bones from your past from 40 years ago. It doesn't matter the last 39 years you've been helping the poor and you've been living an exemplary life and loving people and all the great things you've done. 40 years ago, they got a recording of you saying this or that, canceled. No, it doesn't matter if you've been redeemed. It doesn't matter how you've changed the world. They don't show much mercy. They just want you to plead for mercy. That's the world's attitude today. It's like dirty politics gone wild. <laughs> dirty politics gone wild in society. You remember how the, the politicians used to be mean to each other like that? Now the whole world's on social media typing their opinions of other people. It's almost... And then the church... There's like a cottage industry of people who call themselves Christian that, are, that have websites dedicated to tear down other ministries. If you haven't seen it on the internet, don't look for it. Sometimes I'm doing research and I'll get on there to see this or that and people start talking bad about other ministries and other ministers. Tearing them down. I get off of it. I, it just makes me sick at my stomach. I guess it's a spiritual gift of discernment. Because when you see somebody talking bad about somebody else like that, that reveals right there they ain't Christian. You're supposed to go to people if you've got an issue with them. Not go to the world wide web. Not talk about them. I went and searched up Billy Graham one time just to see because I had noticed every, every prominent preacher out there has websites devoted to tearing them down while they shouldn't be a minister, why you shouldn't listen to them. And I thought, well, surely everybody agrees Billy Graham spent his life as evangelist, bringing people to Jesus, doing good. No, they hit him as hard as anybody else. And that just goes to show you And then the church, the real church, 
Sometimes we have an issue the way we regard each other. Somebody does something, well, did you hear what so-and-so did? That ain't merciful, is it? Sometimes the church, we, we think that we should hold each other to such high standards. Well, how about you hold yourself to high standards and let God worry about the others? And you encourage the others. The world builds you up to tear you down. Have you noticed that? Oh, he's the greatest. For six months, they'll say, this is the greatest golfer. This is the greatest singer the world has ever known. Man, everybody loves him. And they'll build him up. And then when he's at the pinnacle of his, his fame, they'll find something to tear him back down. When people have, have just accepted that, yes, this guy is wonderful, then they say, well, okay, the new cycle has ended on that. Now let's tear him down. And let's watch the new cycle about that. They build you up to tear you down. Shouldn't be that way in the church. Jesus told a parable about two guys that owed money to the king. One guy owed him millions and the other guy just owed him maybe a few thousand. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And so the king was settling accounts and he brought the guy that owed millions before him. And he said, pay me my money. And the guy said, I can't pay. I don't, I don't have it right now. But if you, you have mercy on me, if you give me a chance, I will pay you all. And it just touched the king's heart. I don't know what, what transpired, but the king had mercy on him. He said, I forgive your debts. Just never mind. Me and you are good. The, felt, the king felt good to, to show mercy. But then the Bible says that guy that owed the debt, who's now been forgiven, goes to another guy that owes him a little bit. Grabs him by the collar, yanks him up, and says, hey, pay me my money. The guy says the same thing. Man, I'm trying my best. Look, give me a little space here, and, and, and I'm going to pay you everything I owe you. He has that guy thrown in the debtor's prison along with all his family. And see, that's the way, that, that's just a, that's a picture of a Christian who's been forgiven a debt that he could never pay. That the king has forgiven us. He canceled the debt. He didn't say, well, you just pay me over time. No, he said the debt is wiped clean, white as snow. And then we turn around, and we can't forgive somebody for this little old this or that. And we can't show mercy to others. The king wasn't happy about that. He reversed his decision on that first guy and made him pay. That's kind of scary. So, I was thinking forgiveness and mercy are kind of like kissing cousins. They go together, don't they? You kind of you gotta, gotta be able to forgive to have mercy. And we see in this story that he forgave the money, the debt. But the mercy was that he didn't have him thrown into prison when he could have. And a lot of us, we say we've forgiven people, but we're still holding them in prison. We won't talk to them anymore. We, we bring it up, and we got them in prison. Mercy is letting the debt go. 
and not putting anybody in, in jail. <laughs> yep. That's what we want. And, and we, we, we like to, when they do it to us, when they're nice to us and forgive us. But we got to do it to others. What does practical mercy look like in everyday situations? Well, I'm glad you asked because I went to Walmart this week. You hearing me? <laughs> I had bought some golf cart tires online that was being shipped to Walmart. Now you say, Pastor, what are you doing with golf cart? Don't ask. That's another whole story for another sermon. Okay. So I had bought these tires. And so I, didn't, I never picked up anything at Walmart. So I went inside and I asked the... The guy at the gate, the, at the front door, I said, where do I go to pick up online orders? He said, I think you go to the service center there where they do returns and stuff. So I went over there. I waited in line. Finally got to the front and said, I'm here to pick up my order. They said, oh, we don't do that over here. You got to go around the other side of the building where they pick up groceries and stuff. I said, okay. Have a good day. I go get in my truck, drive around, park in one of those spots, call them on the phone, tell them when I'm here to pick up. And they said, we don't do that over here. You got to go to the tire department to get those. I said, okay, thank you. Oh, thank you very much, I said. I thought that was mine. Oh, hey, I thought that was mine is why my, my face went like that. I was like, I done messed up. But see, now I'm showing mercy to her, right? Because uh, it could have been mine. All right, just a practical example. Thank you for that. We're in practical examples space here. Okay, so we're back at Walmart. Listen now. I drove all the way to the other end of the building, got out, went inside to the tire department, tell them, here's my sheet. Y'all told me to come get my tires. Y'all got them? They said, let's look. We don't see that order. We don't see that. They could not find the order. When they finally found the order, they said, the tires ain't here, sir. You're going to have to call 1-800-WALMART. Well, by that time. <laughs> no, I've been around long enough to know when my blood starts boiling is when I need to start praying in the Spirit. And you know what? It wasn't their fault. I mean, they're just, they're there to work. It's hot outside. They, what good would it do for me to take out my anger on any one of those people? They were trying to help, Right? So I didn't, I didn't cuss nobody at all. Mercy doesn't hold other people to your standards. I know your standards are great. I know you always do everything perfect. It's okay to have expectations, big expectations, but just have them on yourself, and you'll be much happier. That makes sense? And cut other people some slack. Oh, uh, I wrote this. We little Zacchaeus was changed by one wee little act of mercy. Y'all remember Zacchaeus, the short tax collector that wanted to see Jesus, and he ran ahead and jumped up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And Jesus went to the tree, stopped the whole procession, and said, Come on down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to eat at your house tonight. Zacchaeus was so excited. You know why Zacchaeus was so excited? 
because Zacchaeus knew Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, and tax collectors are people who are working for the Romans against their own Jewish people. They were hated and despised, and he knew it. And so why would this prominent Jewish man, this leader that they're saying could be the Messiah, why would he come to my tree? Why would he come and talk to me? Why would he invite me to eat with him? He's coming to my house. What did the religious rulers say? Oh, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. They were in an uproar. They wanted to stone Jesus because of it. But Jesus said, you know, I didn't come to, to call the, the, the righteous. I came to call the sinner. I didn't come to, to heal the, the ones that think they're well. I came to heal the ones that are broke and realize that they need help. And Zacchaeus was reaching out to me when he climbed the tree, basically what Jesus was saying. And Zacchaeus got so excited from that little act of mercy, his entire life changed in one lunch date. He said, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to give them back four times as much. Jesus, whoo, salvation has come to this house. Do you realize what an important tool that mercy is in the salvation process? Was it the people, was, did somebody argue you into your salvation? Or was it somebody, you couldn't understand why they was loving on you like that? Why do they keep talking to me? Why do they go out of their way to care for me? Don't they know who I am? Mercy. Boy, you need to put that in your tackle box. Romans 2 verse 4 says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know what mercy does? It gives space grace. Or it gives grace for space. What was it? What was I going to say? It, 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 it's something along those lines. It gives space for grace. Mercy gives people room that they need to grow and learn and to do better. I think about the woman at the well. She'd had five husbands. And the one she's living with now wasn't even her husband. She's messing up repeatedly. And, it, and she comes to the well at noon because that's when the other women aren't there because they've probably had no mercy on her, shunned her, won't have anything to do with her. So she's coming out there in the heat of the day, and somebody knows what I'm talking about this week, coming out there in the middle of the day to draw her water by herself because she has messed up her life. She knows nobody wants to talk to her. She knows that Nobody wants to have anything to do with her. That if anybody talks to her, they're liable to get shunned too. But here Jesus sits. A Jewish man who's willing to talk to a Samaritan woman, which was also pretty much forbidden in those times. Not only did he talk to her, share with her, he put up with her her attitude that she had at first because she just knew he was there to, to rub it in. But he revealed that he was the Messiah. 
You know, she got so excited. She forgot why she came. She, she said, I got to go tell somebody. She was so excited. I got, I got, my feet's got to get to moving. I got to go tell somebody. She forgot her water pot and, water pot and ran off and told the whole town. The people she was running from, she went to tell them the good news. Oh, what a testimony. The people that you've been running from, God's mercy will turn you around and get you to help them. You know what mercy does? It makes you forget your heavy load that you've been carrying. That water pot that she dropped. It energizes us to become a better person. And forget the past failures. If somebody has had mercy on you, it makes you think, there is hope for me. People do care. And it points them to Jesus because he's the source of our mercy. Lamentations 3.22 says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. That's so good. I'm not living off of yesterday's mercy because I need new mercy because I've done new stuff that needs mercy today. Last night. So I can wake up with a refreshing, a re-cleansing this morning because of His mercy being new. His mercy never runs out. It's fresh for the new stuff I need mercy for. And it's one thing for the, the mercy to run vertical, isn't it? I'm glad it runs vertical. I'm glad it comes down to me. But Jesus is always trying to get us to add the horizontal where we give mercy to others. Dr. Joel Tudman said the easiest way to spot a hypocrite is by their inability to show mercy. Ouch. He was, I, I, I saw him preach and he was rather adamant that if you see somebody that claims to be a Christian but doesn't show people mercy, they're lying. I don't know about that. I think, I think we got to grow in our ability and understanding of mercy and maybe at first we don't learn i know as i've grown as a christian what about you the older you get and the more mature you become in christ the more you know about jesus sometimes it feels the farther you are away because you begin to see your need for mercy you become more humble you don't if, if you're growing as a christian you're not becoming prideful because i look how much better and stronger and, and beautiful i am than i used to be no, now your standard bearer, Lord Jesus Christ, you see him for all of his glory and you understand the mercy of God and the part that it has played in your life. And then you become humble and you want to give more mercy. Anybody watch the show The Chosen? I think we've had life groups built around it and stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a show... Uh, about Jesus and his ministry here on earth. It's, uh, I think it's really good. I think it's pretty much biblically accurate, 
course, they take some liberties on things that the Bible doesn't fill in because it's a long show and everything. But, you know, if, if you're mature enough to understand that while you watch, it has encouraged me to watch. So, But uh, I like how they portrayed Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. When, when the disciples were walking with Jesus, and he turns and he sees Matthew, and he says, Matthew, follow me. And the disciples are like, they're grabbing Jesus. Whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. You know who that is? That's a tax collector. Don't call him. They thought Jesus, surely he didn't know that this was a tax collector, even though he's in the tax booth, you know. And they're begging Jesus, please, no, we don't want him. He's not in our club, Jesus. We will, I will step down if you call that man. I mean, that's basically the way they were acting. <laughs> but Jesus called him nonetheless. Jesus said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Mm, mm, mm. I think about blind Bartimaeus. He had another blind buddy with him. They don't say who his name was, but they were sitting on the side of the road crying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. They heard Jesus was coming by. They heard he was merciful, and they were crying out for his mercy. And what did they get? Mercy. He went over to them and healed them. And they got up and they went from being blind beggars to Jesus' disciples and walking with Jesus in an instant. That's what mercy will do. You cry out for God's mercy and see if you don't receive it. It's like I was crying out in that yellow Buick Century. I'm telling you, God is merciful. Don't remind mama. What about the woman caught in the act of adultery? Now, who, who was it that threw, threw her at the feet of Jesus thinking that surely he's going to have to say the law says stoner. He's going to have to agree with the law, right? Surely, we got him now. We trapped him. They were wanting to see this woman killed. They wanted justice. Thank goodness mercy triumphs over justice. And Jesus said, let him without sin cast the first stone. Thank goodness that woman was thrown at the feet of mercy. If she'd have been thrown at anybody else's feet, we don't know what would have happened. They would have been confused. Wait a minute, the law does say this. Let me tell you, Jesus fulfilled the law. And he made it possible for mercy to triumph over justice. He made it possible. Because he paid the penalty. The penalty was paid. He paid her penalty. So that he could show mercy to who he wants to show mercy. And he wants to show mercy to you. And he wants to you to show mercy to others. If we're, if we're throwing people around and saying, yeah, we got him now. We caught him. Then we're acting like the religious Pharisees, the ones Jesus had an issue with. But if we're showing mercy, we're acting like our Savior. You're saying, 
Yeah, pastor, but, you know, we can't just be all merciful. And I'm not saying that people don't belong on death row and don't mean to, you know, that we should just let all the criminals go. No. God gave us authorities to take care of evildoers. That's their job. I'm not saying that we just let people hurt us and we just are human doormats and people walk all over us. I'm not saying that we don't point out that you hurt me and this has to stop or this or whatever. We don't deny the truth, deny the consequences of their actions. But as much as within us, our attitude are to be mercy. I see people, loved ones were killed, and now the, the offender is on death row. And, and the people are like, I know he's going to die and pay for his sins. I know, he, you know there's consequences to his action, but they go and minister to him, try to get him saved before they die. You see what I'm saying? There's ways to not enable people. You know, some people are on drugs or whatever. You have some kind of sloppy agape mercy that you're trying to show and you're giving them money and you're just making it worse. Mercy doesn't deny the facts on the, on the ground here. It, it, it understands the situation and it does what is best for all involved. Okay? Mercy doesn't just say, oh, okay, let's just bypass our brain, right? It addresses the issue in a way that God would. It doesn't deny the offense. It allows love to cover the offense, if possible, because love is the greatest force. Micah 6.8 says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. Do you want to know what's good? Do you want to know what God says? And this is what he requires of you. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, this is what God requires of you. This is it. This is it in a nutshell. We could have preached this 20 years ago. We wouldn't have to have any more sermons, right? This is what God's after. To do what is right. It's always the right time to do the right thing. Always. Do what's right. If you have any questions about should I do it or not, ask yourself, is it right in God's eyes? Do what is right and to love mercy. You got to love it. Not just love getting it, but love getting it, giving it. And then to walk humbly with your God. And that'll come. You walk with him. How different would this world be if we, if, if we all showed each other a little mercy? Wouldn't it be a better place to live? Wouldn't, there, there would be very few sinners left because the goodness of God had drawn everybody to repentance. If we would show each other a little mercy, sinners respond to mercy like a rat responds to Cheetos. They will gobble it up. They don't understand it. They don't get it from the world. That's what gives you that tool to speak into their hearts. 
I'm going to close with a couple of scriptures. 1 Timothy 1.16, the Apostle Paul says this about winning souls. He said, God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. I know you're thinking, what does he mean? But he considered himself the worst chief of sinners because he had persecuted Christians before he knew better, right? And he, he did say that he's, he lived in the flesh too. He said, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do is the thing I do. Oh, Lord, Lord. You know, he went around and around with the sin nature that he's dealing with. But he considered himself the chiefest of sinners. The Apostle Paul who wrote, I mean, it, can we all get a grip here thinking that we're all righteous and the Apostle Paul saying, I, man, I'm the chiefest of sinners. One of us is lying. He said, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. He said, if they can see this old man that I used to be that used to go around persecuting Christians and having them thrown in jail, and I was there when they stoned Stephen, and I was giving my consent to his death, if they, if they knew they used to fear me, because I was such a hard religious man. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was cruel and hard and, and couldn't, had no mercy for anybody. But if they could see me now, God's mercy has changed me. And if they can see that God could do that for me, it will change their understanding about what God can do for them. You showing mercy, you living humbly, is the greatest witness that there could possibly be that God's mercy changed you and it will change me, the sinner may say. Titus 3, 5 said he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. None of us would be here today praising the Lord if he hadn't shown us mercy. He washed away our sins. He gave us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you don't have this new life through the Holy Spirit, He hadn't washed away your sins, it's because you haven't asked Him to. It's because maybe you think just going to church a couple times makes you a good person or your uncle was a deacon or, you know, you got baptized as a kid or whatever you think you're thinking. Either you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you have a relationship with Him or you don't. And he's waiting on you to ask for mercy. To get real with yourself and say, save me, Lord. Forgive me. I need it. And if you're here today and you're like the prodigal son, that you were once in the house, but then you kind of got caught, sucked out into the world and you kind of wanted the things of the world and you, you lost your way, then you need to come back home. And, you know, when I thought about those two scenarios, I was thinking, you know, Jesus leaves the 99 and goes find the one. And then I thought about all the people who's left the church over time, you know, and how I want to go find them. I want to go get them and bring them home, you know. You're, you're out there in the world. You're getting lost. You're, you're losing so much. God wants to use your life, but you're, you're just trapped. You're, you're enslaving yourself to sin again. And I, and I want to go get them. But I believe the Lord was showing me. He leaves the 99 to go find the one lost one. But in the story of the prodigal son, 
he who had been found was in the father's house but left the father didn't go looking for him he had to come back and that's why the Lord keeps putting in my spirit to stop chasing people stop chasing people who have left the church pray for them sit on the porch and watch for them have that robe ready to put back on their shoulders when they come home put the ring back on their finger shoes of purpose and be ready to party with them but we simply can't go after all the ones who are running from God they have to come home and maybe you've been doing that you've been running from God but you want to come home you know this is the place maybe not this church maybe your own line maybe the church that you go to you want to come back to Jesus you have to come back home but if you're here today and you're lost or you know somebody that's lost, let's find them. Let's go get them. Let's bring them to this, this wonderful mercy of Jesus Christ and let them experience the grace that will change their life. If anybody in here doesn't know Jesus wants to, to pray with me right now, would you raise your hand? You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to be saved today. You want to know you have a home in heaven. You want to be right with God and receive His mercy and grace. Anybody? Anybody would say, I've been out there, man, and I need to come home. The only person that didn't want this, the prodigal to come home, you know who it was? It was his brother, his so-called brother, who wasn't understanding the father's ways. He was religious. He was mad. He wanted his way to be done. But the father says, oh, we got to party. We got to party because my son was lost, but now he's found. He come home. This is what we've been praying about. This is what we've been waiting for. So if you're here today and you want to come back home to Jesus, you feel like you've gotten out of, out of God's plan for your life and gotten into some other stuff, and you just simply want to make a course correction, I'll, I'm not going to call you up for that. I'll say that the altar is here after the service. Come and kneel for a moment. Maybe, maybe you want to come and just kneel for a moment. Just tell God how much you appreciate his mercy. How many of you want to get out there and start showing people mercy? Aren't you glad that you're not in a church that's saying, get out there and tell people they're going to hell? Tell them that they're no good. There's a lot of churches like that. Aren't you glad that that's not our God that we serve? His mercy's new every day. Stand to your feet. Thank you for helping me today. It seemed like, like I said, I was plowing there for a minute, and I didn't feel like the Spirit... I was listening or something. I don't know what happened. It's just like, sometimes it's like that, but we broke through. We got the message. Sometimes the devil's fighting you, you understand? How about we, how about we say this together from the 23rd Psalm? And goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Let's make that confession. 
Let's say that together. And goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Is that going to be your legacy? Say it again. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That means it trails. It's, so, it's, it's like, I just thought of this. It's like that vapor trail that made Moses' face glow. What? It's like we've been so good to others and merciful, like we've been so much like Jesus that we have a vapor trail. It's following us everywhere we go. Say it one more time and we'll close. And goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Is that true? Do you want that to be true? Then go make it true, believers. Go make it true, saints. You children of God, you awesome people. Don't tell mama what happened today. <laughs> Father, I love you. I thank you for the good time that we have in church. I thank you that this isn't as hard as we make it. It's just a relationship with you. It's loving you and loving other people like you loved us. It's just all in you, by you, for you, through you, that we live and move and have our being. And we love you. We want more of you in our lives. We want to be more like you. Like a student is like his teacher. We want to grow in you. We want to move in you. We want your power to flow through our hands and through our lips and through our lives. We give you permission, Lord, to use me. Here I am. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.